0: Well, it's been a few weeks since we were in the Gospel of Mark, but we're going to carry on. We're in uh, Chapter 13. We've been in this chapter quite a while, um, three or four weeks now. Um, but I think that just kind of goes to show just how important this chapter is and how much um, the Lord has given us here that we should learn, we should understand, that we should know. So we're just going to continue, uh, see if we can make it to the end of this chapter this morning. By God's grace, let's uh, just bow our hearts, shall we? Well, Father, we thank you for your word. Once again, Lord, we acknowledge that your word is living and powerful. Uh, and that, Lord, your word has the power to change us. But, Lord, also to equip us, to give us everything we need uh, in this life. Lord, to understand, to walk by faith. Uh, and, Father, Lord, just speak to us this morning, we pray. Um, Lord, get our eyes off ourselves, off our circumstances, Lord, off, our, off our own dreams and ideals and whatever. But, Lord, onto you, we pray, that we would see Jesus Uh, Lord, through this and just see the wonderful, magnificent King that we now profess to serve. And Lord, we pray that it would be far more than just a profession of faith, that Lord, it would truly be the way we live our lives. So Father, we give you this time. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so to remind you, we're in this period of time. Uh, now, this is the, the Tuesday before Jesus was crucified on the Thursday uh, of what we call Passion Week. So, uh, just uh, two days effectively beforehand. And so much uh, is communicated in this Olivet discourse. Uh, as we've been looking, uh, Jesus has been looking. We've been going through looking at what we refer to as the tribulation, uh, this period of seven years that is yet to come on the earth, a period of God's wrath, of God's judgment. A total period of time will last for 2,520 days. Scripture is so precise and so specific about the details. It's the seven years that concludes the prophecy that Gabriel gives to Daniel, that's recorded in Daniel chapter 9, that was specifically about Israel, about the Jews, about the city of Jerusalem, about the land. And so we see that there's two specific reasons given for the tribulation. One of them is to bring judgment on this world. Okay, it's very clear. Isaiah makes it clear, we've already looked at a number of scriptures, that God is going to judge this unbelieving and Christ-rejecting world. Now this is another reason why we understand and we know that the church will be removed prior to this because the church has already been judged. We, you and I, have been judged at Calvary and Jesus paid it all. So we will not be left here to be judged again. Just as Lot was drawn out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, I was reading just uh, this week uh, with Amita we're going through in her Bible in Genesis and uh, we just saw how God uh, sent his angels in and they brought Lot out. They, They effectively took Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hands and they dragged them out effectively to get them out before God could bring the judgment. Of course, Abraham, in that conversation he has with God, said, you know, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course God is going to do what is fair, and we have been judged already, but the world will be judged during that time of tribulation. And the second reason is the same reason that sometimes God allows us to suffer. Sometimes God allows us to struggle because God wants to bring us to Him, get our focus on Him. And sometimes it's bringing us back to Him. Maybe we've wandered Maybe we've allowed other things just to cloud our our vision. Maybe we've allowed circumstances to take over. Sometimes it's to give us a fresh understanding of just how great and awesome God is. And so we should never complain about the struggles that we go through. Because God will never allow us to be tempted to struggle beyond what we can cope with. But when we go through these times, God always has a plan, a purpose. And so often through it, we see Jesus in a, a more wonderful way than we've done before and of course god is going to do exactly that with the nation of israel he's going to use this time just as he did through the old testament we see countless times when the lord allowed israel's enemies to uh, defeat them always to bring them back to that point of realizing how much they need him and god is going to allow israel to go through this time of tribulation and it will be a very hard time for them but the reason will be to bring them back to him, as we said already, Israel, the church will be taken out of the way, but Israel will have to endure this time. So, just again, making it clear, we've got the seven-year period. The first three and a half years, using Jesus' own title for this, is the beginning of sorrows. The three and a half-year period, and that's followed by the great tribulation. Again, Jesus said, "Then there shall be great tribulation, such as was not from since the beginning of the world." So, uh, these two periods of three and a half years at the beginning of that the church or somewhere before this starts the church will be taken up we don't know quite at what point uh, we're not to know the day or the hour um, but at some point um, in fact actually I'm just going to throw in a little here if you want to dig into this this as an interesting study all the scriptures that refer to the church being raptured refer to the hour the scriptures that refer to the second coming refer to the day and the hour what's the difference? the implication subtly there is that we might be able to say we know the day because Jesus actually said when we read uh, sorry Paul records for us that that day should not overtake us so are we saying we should or could know the day of the rapture or possibly and I would suspect that it will be on one of the feast days of Israel and I'll leave you to go ponder and study and see that a little bit if you want to yourself of course we don't know which year that will occur So we still, in that sense, are no better off. We don't know exactly when it will take place. It could be this year. It could be at any moment. So it's not to in any way suggest we should be complacent. But if you do a detailed study, I think you'll see that when Jesus speaks about the rapture of the church, there's a very clear emphasis that we don't know the hour. The implication could be the one of the day, and as I say, I think quite likely it will be one of the feast days of Israel. So uh, maybe we'll, sometime we need to do a, a more detailed study. In fact, I'm going to throw that one over to Adrian at some point in the future to do a more detailed study for us, uh, looking at the feasts of Israel and looking at the connections with the church, because uh, there's some fascinating things that come through that. So. Um, we'll look at that, if the Lord hasn't already come back. Uh, but then we've got this, this period of the tribulation, uh, seven years, and then at the end of that is when the second coming will occur. And that's, of course, when the Lord will return. And, and again, the tribulation will be completed, and then there's at some point uh, after that, Jesus himself will return. Uh, and it will be as the armies of this earth, of this world, are all united with the intent of destroying Israel as a nation. And Israel at that point will be crying out to Jesus as their Messiah, that have recognized him as their Messiah. But the bit we've been focusing on over the last couple of weeks is that middle section of the tribulation, right in the middle of the three and a half years. Now, we've seen already um, verse 21 of Mark 13, which is where we've got to, uh, and then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. And Jesus said very clearly, for false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show, show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take you heed! behold, I have foretold you all things. Now, we spent, in our last session going through Mark, we looked uh, quite a little detail about this individual who we refer to as Antichrist one who will come in the place of Christ, who will set himself up to be worshipped as Christ. He will be an incredible character. He'll be somebody that the world will be just so overwhelmed with. He'll have incredible negotiating skills. He will bring about a a political climate where everybody thinks that we're heading for peace and of course, it will all be lies and deception. He, one of the things he will do, and we looked at this last time, is to establish a covenant with Israel for seven years. But in the middle of that point, he's going to break his covenant. So we've looked at the, the false Christs, and the many have come through history. But there's one, of course, significant one, Antichrist, who is yet to come. But the other thing this verse tells us is, and false prophets. Now, once again, there's been many people that have claimed to be prophets. Sadly, in the church today, there are many who claim to be prophets. And, of course, we don't follow the Old Testament example of if their prophecies don't come true, we take them out and stone them. Um, Maybe sometimes that would be a good way of silencing them, because there's so many that say all sorts of things that are not biblical. You know, everything that we have, everything we need is in God's word. God will never add to his word. But there is another one that is coming, a false prophet who will come alongside antichrist and that's what we're going to spend a a little bit of time just looking at this morning and one of the things that this false prophet will do is to show incredible signs and wonders notice to seduce if it were possible even the elect and again the elect in this context is referring to the jews so often we read these things and we read it with a Gentile mindset and we could think that's referring to the church. But again, the context, the Jews are often referred to as God's elect. Paul refers to them as such in uh, Romans 9, 10, 11, and we see ex- examples of this in the Old Testament and so on. But no, so the idea is that even the Jews themselves, these devout Jews could be so deceived by seeing signs and wonders, miraculous things take place. Now, to understand this in a little bit more detail, we need to springboard off Revelation 13, because this is where we're given the information about these two characters in particular. In Revelation 13, again, we're introduced to these two protagonists, these two individuals that the devil is going to raise up to try and thwart God's plans. The first one is the beast from the sea. We see this in a moment. We'll look at the text. And the second one is going to be this false prophet, the beast from the earth, as they're referred to. And this false prophet is going to perform these signs and wonders in an attempt to get the whole world following after Antichrist. Now, you and I, in, in the context of this morning, look at this, and almost this some uh, sense of disbelief that the world could follow after these individuals. But we must forget that this will be so subtle, it will be so logical, that people are going to want to follow after these individuals and want to pledge allegiance to them. See, we need to remember that Satan is a deceiver and a master counterfeiter. You've only got to look at the religions that the world has to see that they all go back, they all have a common source, and they're all a counterfeit. They all promise certain things. They all promise a way to be right with God, but they never deliver no, no, Satan is so, so clever. And we need to not underestimate his ability to bring this deception to the world. Now, again, we're at the midpoint of the tribulation. He's going to attempt to deceive mankind through an unholy trinity, effectively. Satan being in the position of, like God, Antichrist in the place of Christ, and then the false prophet assuming a holy holy spirit like role pointing people to the false christ just as the holy spirit points people to jesus so the false christ the fo- sorry the false prophet will point people to antichrist and try and encourage people to worship antichrist Again, Satan, through all of this, will seek to be worshipped by the whole world. And we shouldn't be surprised because, you know, Satan's equally happy with those who either play with themes of the occult, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, you know, yoga, yes, that's there. So many people think it's a harmless form of exercise. But every position in yoga is a prayer to an idol, a prayer to a false god. Eastern mysticism are the false religions. Satan's happy with people that get involved in those things, that, that start to step out into supernatural pursuits and so on. But he's also just as happy with people that get into materialism, that don't believe any of that stuff. Because Satan wants to deceive people. You know, and we live in a world where, you know, hedonism rules, that people have this kind of, if it feels good, do it, mentality. And if we speak against what people want to do, well, we're considered intolerant. You know, morality and absolutes are pushed to one side. So Satan's happy whichever side of the fence people come down on. Either if they have this interest in spiritual things, well that's great because he's laid so much deception out there, or for people who are not interested in it at all and just want to live a very materialistic lifestyle. So Satan's desire to be worshipped is actually seen in probably one of the most audacious Moments recorded in Scripture. This is actually from Luke chapter 4. And this is the temptation in the wilderness. We read that the devil taking him, taking Jesus, up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. Okay, so that's kind of like a panorama of history that Satan kind of lays out. And the devil said unto him, unto Jesus, all this power the authority to, to rule these kingdoms, will I give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. This is Satan, a created being. He was created originally as, a, as an angel, as a cherubim. He was seemingly responsible for the worship in heaven. The, into his physical body or his body as such was built musical instruments to ena- uh, enable him to worship. He had access to walk in front of the coals in front of the, the altar. And this is a creative being saying to the creator that I will give you the power of the kingdoms of this earth if you will just worship me. I mean, talk about delusions of grandeur. I mean, it really is a, a stunning situation. Again, the kingdoms of this world. Now notice, Satan says, for that is delivered unto me. And for now, we need to understand that Satan is the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. Originally, the kingdoms of this world should have been man's responsibility, holding them until such a time as Jesus came to rule and reign. But because of sin, because Adam Blew it in the Garden of Eden. Satan has taken the kingdoms of this world. He's wrested control out of man's hand, and that's why the Book of Ruth is so important because it gives us God's whole plan of this kinsman redeemer. Though that land had been forfeited, so one comes in who has the t- who can claim the title to that land, and that's what the whole story of the Book of Ruth. Although real events, real people that took place. It lays out for us the plan, and in Revelation, the book of Revelation, what we see is Jesus taking back, as the kinsman redeemer, taking back control of this world. But for now, Satan has this world, and Jesus will claim it back from him, take it back from him. So let's have a look at Revelation chapter 13. If you want to turn into the Bibles, if you want to mark and make notes as we go through, please do so. Um, As always, the slides will be online later on. Uh, We start Revelation 13, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So this is a vision that John is is now seeing, and it helps us to understand what Jesus is referring to in Mark uh, chapter 13 that we're talking about. So the sea always seems to be symbolic of the Gentile nations. The seven heads, specifically, are the seven kingdoms of the world. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the ten horns are the ten kings who we find will rule under Antichrist for the first three and a half years. For the first three and a half years, there'll be ten kings. Now, whether they will be regions around the world, some people have suggested that, or whether they'll be ten Kings, ten countries, uh, we don't know how this is going to play out, but there'll be 10 individuals who have responsibility for certain parts of the earth. how that will play out, as I say we don't fully understand yet. And they will then rule under Antichrist. Now seven kingdoms, this is the, the history, biblical history of the world in terms of the kingdoms. The first kingdom was Egypt. So this is after the time of the flood. We get to the time of Babel. After Babel, the world is separated up into different languages. And Egypt then rises as the first dominant power. But that then is followed by Assyria. Assyria then takes the northern kingdom of Israel captive, if you're familiar with the Old Testament history, and then leads on to Babylon, then rising and defeating Assyria and becoming the next world empire. And of course, the Babylonians with Nebuchadnezzar are the ones who come and destroy Jerusalem, 606 B.C. Uh, Daniel was taken captive uh, at that point, and then later Ezekiel, and then finally uh, the rest of the nation is destroyed and taken captive uh, in 587 B.C., taken to Babylon. That's when the crown moves from Israel and effectively resides in Babylon. Um, We've talked about this before, until some many, many years later, as prophesied by Daniel, And the Magi, who Daniel was made chief of, then bring that crown back to Israel. And these Magi go and knock on the door of Herod and say, where is the one who's been born, king of the Jews? It's a fascinating picture, the way that the Lord has engineered all of these things. But after Babylon, we have the Medo-Persian Empire. That then gives way to Greece and of course Alexander the Great and his kingdom is divided, as we've seen this already, and they then lead on to the Roman Empire. And it's out of the revived Roman Empire that these ten kings will come. And this is all laid down in prophecies that we are given, both in Revelation and in the book of Daniel and elsewhere in Scripture. And notice that upon his heads the name of blasphemy, or the names, rather, plural of blasphemy, upon the heads plural as well Uh, again the heads representing the world empires all of which that have put themselves in these positions that really rightfully belonged to jesus assuming title of that which was christ alone romans 13 verse 1 does tell us though that let every soul be subject unto higher powers for there is no power but of god the powers that be are ordained of God. So even though Satan is pulling strings at the moment, God is still in complete control. He's allowing these things for his purposes. Now notice also John 19, 11, Jesus answered, thou could have no power at all except against me except it were given thee from above. Jesus speaking to Pilate. You see, God is the one who is sovereign, but that Power belongs to God and to God alone. Jesus makes it very clear that the power that Pilate had, the power that Rome had, was only because God had allowed it. But notice also, not just the sovereignty of God the Father, but the sovereignty of Jesus. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. See, Jesus has more power than all the power of the enemy. This is why Satan's offer to Jesus is so preposterous. Of course, he was trying to tempt Jesus into what will eventually be Jesus' anyway. But as Satan always does, that's what temptation is. It's offering you very often something that's legitimate, but in an illegitimate way. In a way that God hasn't designed or planned, and that's not God's best. John 1 verse 3 says, All things were made by him. By, by who? By Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's the creator of all. And then Colossians tells us that for by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. So though we're looking at this and we're talking about the control that Satan has. Understand that he is still subject to Jesus. Revelation eleven fifteen talks about that moment when the kingdoms of this world are wrested from Satan and given back to their rightful owner, to the second Adam. It says in verse fifteen of Revelation eleven, and the seventh angel sounded, and there was there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I don't know, we're not specifically told there, but I wonder whether those great voices will be the combined voices of all the saints down through the ages, that are at that point in heaven before the throne. And we will be able to make this declaration. That that now, at this point, when we get to this time in Revelation, at this time during the tribulation, once the judgments have been poured out, this statement that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. That which Satan tried to offer Jesus in an illegitimate way, through worshipping Satan, Satan is going to lose out because Jesus has waited. He's been patient. And now, in the right time, in the right way, Jesus will claim these kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world, for himself. Revelation 30, verse 2 says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. And this just seems to be looking back through history, not from history looking forward, but looking from the perspective that John had at the time that John was recording these things. Rome was the dominant power. And he's looking back down through history. The beast was like a leopard, which speaks of Alexander's kingdom, already been likened to a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, speaking of the Medo-Persian kingdom. His mouth was like the mouth of a lion, speaking of the Babylonian kingdom. It's so all these kingdoms combined. And the dragon gave him power. That's Satan. We've already been identified in Revelation 12 that this dragon that's referred to here is Satan himself. Satan gave Antichrist, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Again, this beast is going to be an amalgamation of all the previous world empires with all of their idolatry and all of their excesses. The power of Satan will come upon Satan. Sorry, will come upon Antichrist at this point. Again, it's important to note that it may well be that Antichrist, when he enters onto the world stage, won't be a bad person. But he's going to be an individual that will be so power hungry that Satan will be able to manipulate him. And at that midpoint of the tribulation, seemingly Satan himself will indwell this individual. read, and I saw one of his heads, remember that's the, the ten kings, as it were wounded to death. And a deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. Now this speaks of what may well be some sort of uh, uh, assassination attempt. See, the, the, the last ruler is going to be Antichrist of these world empires, and this is the head that's going to be wounded to death. And then Satan is going to stage what seems to be a mock resurrection. Because it says, this verse again, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Everyone thinks this individual has been killed. But his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. And again, it's going to be this satanic sign that is going to deceive the world and cause them to follow Antichrist. It's amazing that one did rise from the dead. But as in that account with Lazarus and the rich man, the world has rejected the reality that Jesus has risen from the dead. But they're going to fall for this one they're going to fall for this mock resurrection, the Antichrist seemingly will be killed, but then will be raised again. And we're told, and they worshipped the dragon. Now notice what's happening here. This is talking about the world. That means that Catholicism and Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and all these things, materialism, all of those things will have to be pushed to one side because the final world religion will be satan worship. They worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Again, this will herald in this one world religion. All other religions, as I said, will need to be put down, and there's more, more on the detail of that in chapter 17 and 18 of Revelation. And the question is asked, who can make war with him? Well, there is one. It's Jesus Christ. Because he has all power. And then we have told this, verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, just like Antiochus. We Remember, we were talking about Antiochus Epiphanes and the way he had this big mouth and saying all these things. And these blasphemies against the God of heaven. or well, so Antichrist will do the same thing. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months or three and a half years. Exactly the, the same thing. It'll be the last three and a half years of the tribulation, or the great tribulation, as we refer to it. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme His name and His tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. Interesting. There's a reference to us, I believe, there because he's going to blaspheme God, God's name, His tabernacle, His dwelling in heaven specifically, and them that dwell in heaven. Who will that be? it won't be just the angelic host. By this point, the saints, the redeemed saints will be there. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. Not those in heaven, because we're already in heaven, but this is those that are on earth, this is the Jews. And to overcome them. And power's given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now, there will be people who come to know the Lord during that first part of the tribulation. And I've got no doubt, because we read the context, that that some of those will be martyred. They'll be put to death, beheaded for their witness. So this in the context could refer to them as well. But remember that Jesus said of the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this cannot refer to the church. This is referring to the Jews and to those tribulation saints. Again, remember these are told that they must endure to the end and go through this. Daniel also highlights this in Daniel 7.25, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand, until a time, one year, times, plural, two years, and the dividing of time, half a year, so three and a half years again, in the context. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion, and consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So there's our conclusion. That's then Jesus will take control, will rule. Back to Revelation 12, it reads there, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb from the foundation of the world. Any man have an ear, let him hear. It's talking about those that will end up worshipping Satan. Notice that the phrase doesn't end with what the Spirit says to the churches because the churches are no longer on earth at that point. Again, we're told from the foundation of the world. So is it the, is the question here, is it that the names were written from the foundation of the world or is it that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world? If you read that verse, it could be either way. In fact, it's probably both. That our names are written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And of course, Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. See, it's God's plan and all of these things. <clears throat> Some argue, of course, that it's not fair that God chooses those who are to be saved. And it's the age-old argument of the predestination versus free will. You know, Did God predestinate us or did we choose him? You know, Did we have any choice in the matter? Well, it's very simple. If you accept Jesus, you'll discover that your name was written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you reject Jesus, you'll discover that your name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yeah, we have free choice, but God is still sovereign. Back into Revelation thirteen verse ten, and He uh, leadeth into captivity. So He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And then we thought, and I behold another beast. So now we get onto this false prophet coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. So introduced to the second beast, two always is the number of witness or testimony in Scripture. And being like a lamb, he's trying to deceive by appearing to be like the true lamb of God. But when he opens his mouth, again, there's very little doubt as he speaks as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. And notice this, "...and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast." whose deadly wound was healed. So, this individual, this false prophet who is coming, quite likely will be the leader of one of the prominent religions in the world. Some have suggested it could be the Pope, and it could possibly be at some point in the future. Or it could be some other individual that steps onto the world scene, that somehow manages to unite and bring together the world religions. Again, but this complete satanic trinity is now presented... The second beast is actually in Revelation 19:20 referred to specifically as the false prophet. And, I told, and he doeth great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven. She's copying the miracles we see in Scripture. That's something that we see Elisha doing. Elijah did similar things in the sight of men and deceived them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live interesting there's lots more we could dig into these things as to what they could imply but nevertheless this individual is going to cause the world to worship antichrist this just lays out that first three and a half years. In Revelation 17, we read of mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, the abominations of the earth. And we're going to see all the world religions kind of come together and merge. The, the, the kings of the earth are going to get to the point that they are so frustrated by this religious influence that they will destroy this one world religion by this point. And so for the last part of the tribulation... What we see is, as we've seen already, effectively everybody worshipping, forced to worship Satan himself. And we told, him he had power to give life, this is the false prophet again, give life unto the image of the beast. So again, they're going to erect, just as Nebuchadnezzar set up his gold statue, just as Antiochus Epiphanes also set up an image and put it in the temple in Jerusalem. So, they're going to establish or they're going to create an, an image, a statue. It will be placed into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, which again means that the temple has to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. So keep watching the news and everything that talks about Israel and Jerusalem specifically, anything you hear about the Temple Mount, take note of it because we're going to see very soon that that temple will be rebuilt. And into that temple will be placed this image. And incredibly, the false prophet is going to be given the power to cause this statue to come to life. And this image is going to seemingly speak. We read that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. This is going to be a really horrible time on earth. Again, that image placed inside the temple. Yet more miracles to deceive the world. And all of these things, they're going to be broadcast live on CNN, Sky News, News 24, all these news channels. You know, we've never had a time like we have now where everything that happens in the world, we hear about instantly. You know, we've all got mobile, most of us now have got mobile devices. that Some news story breaks and you immediately get a a notification of what's going on. Can you imagine this happening? That suddenly you get a notification, well we won't be here, but for those that are here, they'll get some sort of notification saying that this statue started speaking. And then there's the, the threat of death for anybody that doesn't now worship this so-called God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says this, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, I believe the day that we're speaking of here is the day that we are taken up to be with the Lord, that day shall not come except there come a falling away. Now the word there can also be translated catching away. I believe this is a reference to the rapture of the church. That 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 day is not going to come until the church are caught away, Until so they're kind of catching away, falling away. Not not in terms of apostasy. There will be apostasy in the last days, no question. Many scriptures make that clear. But I don't think that this verse is saying that. That day won't come unless there come this catching away of the saints first, and then we see that the man of sin will be revealed the son of perdition. And we're told, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. That means every religion in the world, every religion that has their own concept of what God is, including materialism, every, every concept of God is embraced in this. Everything that people worship is embraced in this. He's going to pose, exalt himself above all of those things and so that he, as God, sitting in the temple of God, that's the temple in Jerusalem, showing himself that he is God. This is what Antichrist will do and the false prophet is going to be the one that is going to make this happen and convince the world through these signs and these wonders and these miracles. Revelation 12 says he shall cause all, both small and great, rich and free, bond, uh, sorry, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man may buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And this leads us to this thing we're so familiar with. This symbol of allegiance. The three forms of identification is going to be a mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Again, we've speculated much over the years in the church about what the mark will be. Some people thought it would be some sort of credit card thing. And then, of course, we've gone on from that now to barcodes, and people looked at the barcodes, and they noticed that these long uh, things at the beginning, the end, and the middle had the number 6, of course, that's 666, so could it be something to do with this? Well, we know it will be something to do with buying and selling, and that leads on to then the idea of implants. You know, and we, you know, even 20 years ago, how many of us foresaw that we'd have, you know, a credit card that we could simply get out and I can go into shop and I can just touch it and I've paid for everything? But we're there. You know, how much of that credit card is the bit we need? Well, only a very, very, very small little bit. The rest of it's just a bit of plastic that fits in the wallet. The technology is already there to make something so small that you could easily put it into your right hand under the skin or into your forehead. And wouldn't it be so much easier? You wouldn't have to worry about remembering your wallet and purse whenever you go out. You can just touch your hand on the scanner as you go through Asda and you're paying. Because nobody can then fake that. Nobody can steal your hand and pay with your hand. You'd know about that. Nobody can steal your head. If somebody takes your head and tries to pay for their goods, the cashier is going to notice. It solves all those problems with fraud and everything else. We're so close to these things. And that people will only be able to buy and sell if they accept this mark, this symbol. Again, could be a microchip, could be a name. Tattooed on the right hand or forehead. Because again, the the idea of this name is in here. Again, whatever it is, it's clear that whoever receives the mark will seal their own eternal destiny. And not in a good way. We do find that those that take this mark will eventually break out in sores. No one taking the mark will be able to also take the name of Christ because our foreheads are are reserved for the name of Christ. It could be just simply an outward mark of loyalty to the beast. These things have been speculated. But the mark, you notice, this is personally associated or representative of the beast or antichrist. It's his mark, the mark of his name. Again, all these verses, Revelation 15.2, it's again his mark. You see the the scriptures there. And then we saw, here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is six hundred three score and six. Again, the infamous three, uh, six, 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 six Always the number of man in scripture. And again, we can speculate all we want. It will become very clear when the time arrives. Um, but again, notice Antichrist is not going to be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. Okay, so let's go back into Mark's gospel and let's just make a run to the end now. So, but. In those days, so this is all that all we've just looked at is what is going to happen, and then we're told that in those days after that tribulation, so when all that's happened, we've come to the end, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. I believe 25 is speaking about this shaking of the kingdoms and the world as it is, as Jesus claims the kingdoms of this world. And then we'll see Jesus coming in the clouds, coming down from heaven on those white horses, accompanied by the saints who will come with him. And then, shall he send his angels... And they shall gather together his elect, who? The Jews. From the four winds, so speaking of the cardinal points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. From the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Again, this is quoting from Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 27. If we haven't got time for you want to look at those scriptures. I suggest you do that because Jesus is specifically quoting from those scriptures which speak of the regathering of Israel at this point. We are told. Let me just read to you very quickly because it's so important in Isaiah chapter twelve, verse eleven. It says, "And in so it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand the second time." To recover the remnant of his people. And he gives the locations of where they're coming from. And again, he says, and he shall set up an end sign for the nations. A sign will be given. What will be the sign? It will be Jesus coming. And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is the verse that's being quoted. The second time. What was the first time? 1948. That was the first time the Jews were gathered from around the world that went back to their land. And they've been going back ever since. But there'll be a final regathering of the Jews back to their land, and this is what we're reading here. And then we're told now, learn the parable of the fig tree. When a branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know the summer is near. In other words, we should be able to know the signs of the times in which we live. So you, in like manner, when you see, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. That's more specifically for Israel than for us because we'll have been taken to heaven by this point. As I said, we'll be seeing these things from from the mezzanine and we'll return with Christ at the second coming. But the Jews, when they start to see these things, will realize that the return of their Messiah is near. And again, fig tree, again, is typically associated with Israel. In 1948, a tender Israel put forth leaves. Again, Israel became a nation in a day as Prophesied in Isaiah 66, verse 8. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things shall be done. That's led to a lot of speculation. And people have tried to put dates on certain things and so on. But we are unfortunately the victim of not understanding the words here. The, the Hebrew, or sorry, the Greek here. Genos, or genea. He has the idea of age, generation, nation, or time, depending on the context. More specifically, what Jesus is saying here is that this nation shall not pass till all these things be done. Which nation? Israel. The Muslims want to destroy Israel. It's very clear. Iraq, Iran. They want to wipe Israel out. But here we have recorded in the word of God, but nobody will be able to destroy Israel. This nation, the nation of Israel, shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Again, many, many scriptures, Jeremiah 31 and so on, um, speak very clearly that God would not allow Israel to be destroyed. And God even says, you know, if you could destroy the sun or the moon, then okay, maybe you could destroy Israel. Of course we can't do that. So just to finish, we read, But of that day and of that hour, the day and the hour, referring to the second coming now, no man knoweth, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. And take you heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch you therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or the cock crying, or in the morning. Lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Well, that does apply to us. We need to be watching. We need to be looking at these things that are going on in this world because we are so close Not just to the return of Jesus, not just to the time of tribulation, but more importantly for us, to the time when Jesus will come, will take us from this world. We'll be caught up into the air, we'll meet the Lord in the clouds. And suddenly in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that word twinkling in the Greek is atomos, it's the smallest indivisible unit of time. I believe it's 10 to the minus 33 seconds if you want to know. So we're told. Before, before even you can blink your eye, we will change. And these bodies that are getting old and decaying and scaly reptile hands, as I have at the moment, all this will be gone. We'll have new bodies fit for eternity and we will see Jesus. And he will take us back to that place he's prepared to us. Peter asks the question and says, seeing all these things should be dissolved, what manner of persons are we to be? He goes on to say, we should be holy. We should be godly. That's why we should be constantly reminding ourselves of these things. It's so easy to go about our our, our regular day and forget the reality of these things and how close we are and how much these things should therefore impact us in the way that we live, the way that we teach and educate our children the way that we talk to those that we love that don't yet know the Lord, the way that we should be in our workplaces or wherever we find ourselves in our daily routines. Because all too soon, these things will start to come to pass. And then once we're taken out of here, that opportunity to witness to our friends, to our neighbours, to our loved ones, will have gone. That's concluded Mark chapter 13. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll move into Mark chapter 14, which is the night before Jesus is betrayed. And we see the event laid out for us that really tipped it for Judas. The thing that just drove him over the edge. So we'll look at that in our study next time. Let's bow our hearts. Well, Father God, we just thank you this morning for this privilege we have of being able to study your word together to be able to consider these things and, Lord, to be so grateful for our salvation, so grateful, Lord, for all that you have done for us. The Lord, we know that as we sit here this morning with our church family, we will be together with you for eternity. Lord, we do again pray for our unsaved loved ones. Give us, Lord, the words and the wisdom to speak to them. Stir their hearts. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction upon them. And Lord, give us opportunity just to share your gospel. Give us that boldness and that confidence. And Lord, give them ears to hear we pray before it's too late. Father, may we be people, may we be a church that are looking for your coming, excited about your return. And Father, we do pray too for the nation of Israel. We pray, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord, we recognize the trouble that Israel will yet endure. Lord, we praise you. Your word reveals that they will come to see you as their Messiah. Lord, we look forward to that day. We just thank you for these things now. Keep us close to you. Keep our eyes on Jesus, Lord, we pray. The author and the finisher of our faith. Father, it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.